2: The
3: Armstrong and Getty Show. So uh, this is uh, 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 some information from uh, Camilo Ortiz, who's a psychologist, associate prof of psychology at Long Island University, and uh, a a woman by the name of Lenore Skenazi, who you may know, she she wrote the book uh, Free Range Kids. Um, She's the president of the nonprofit Let Grow, uh, which is a bit of a play on words um, with let go. Uh, but they start, you know, they're talking about a colleague in suburban Kentucky let his 12 year old daughter walk two houses down to her friend's house. 12 year old. Two houses. At the end of the play date, the other girl's mom walked her home just to be safe. Two houses. And such excessive caution is hardly unusual over the last decade. Uh, instead of running outside to play after school or riding their bikes around Stranger Things style, they're more likely to be indoors on TikTok or in adult-run classes in organized sports. You can see where this is heading. It's the, the free-range kid thing. How And, and there's, there's a solution to a lot of it that's wonderful, going to get to in a minute. But they point out, all right. Protecting kids from dangers that are all but non-existent. I mean, vanishingly small risk, as they say. Plus, you've got the birth of cable TV, which evolved into round-the-clock internet news alerts, bringing a stream of scary news to parents. Gradual increase in homework starting in the 80s. Mm. Fear that American kids are falling behind. Winner-take-all economy. You've got to get into college, and you've got to be at the top of your class to get into college. Tutors, travel teams, giving kids a more curated, less autonomous childhood. But as kids' freedom has been going down, their anxiety has been shooting up. Even the Surgeon General called it the crisis of our time. Jeez,
4: when you lay it out that way with those all those examples, why is there any conversation being had about why do we have such an anxiety problem with children today? <laughs> Either way you just laid it out. Yeah, of course. Of course, I, I, I didn't have any of those things being mentioned to me when I was 11.
3: Right. Right. Uh, but as kids freedom has been going up, their anxiety has been shooting. I'm sorry, uh, freedom going down, anxiety shooting up as a society. We've been trying everything from breathing exercises to therapeutic horse grooming to keep kids from shrinking from life. And there could be many reasons our kids are suffering. What if the problem was simply the kids are s- growing up so overprotective that they're scared of the world? And that's what
4: they've been studying and what to do about it. Um, Well, what I wonder, I always bring this up, is how early do you get wired for that? I didn't, as a two-year-old, learn that the outlets in the house were death. (laughs) And they got the plastic thing in there because you're going to die if you get anywhere near it. And we got these plastic things on the corner of the table because you'll puncture your brain and die. (laughs) I I didn't have all that stuff. I just wonder how quickly you get wired for the world is frightening. Right. Uh, Well, not playground. My playground wasn't covered in rubber because of the idea that you're going to die if you try and play on this. Well, the only complaint I had
3: about the playground was stumbling over the bones of all the children who died out there. Oh, that's right. Nobody did. And everybody was fine. (laughs)
4: Stumbling over the bones.
3: (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. So anyway, oh uh, one more one more bit about the problem, then we'll get to the solution. Um, so all the while, this uh, this gal, who's the free range kids, mom um, had been monitoring, monitoring the landscape of American childhood, talking to parents, teachers and kids, including 13 year olds who've never been allowed to go to the park without an adult or run an errand or even cut their own meat. One 17-year-old told her he'd love to get pulled over for going 10 miles per hour over the speed limit because that at least would be on him alone. Without parental help, he'd have to deal with the cop. And Camilo, the psychologist, has been conducting research on treating kids with cognitive behavioral therapy. He also is using using it in his practice and witnessed the incredible increase in children's anxiety since he started counseling them 15 years ago. Mm. This guy's a pretty good... He covers the, the time period we're talking about. Um... So, uh, and, and they state rather strongly that they think this constant supervision intervention could be hurting kids' chances to become brave and resilient. What's missing isn't just the thrill of climbing trees or playing flashlight tag. It's that when an adult is always present, in person or electronically, kids never get to see what they're made of. Kids should have a loving and secure relationship with their parents, of course. But if you think back to a time you were alone as a child and got lost, or maybe fell off your bike, you probably still remember what happened next. I remember very clearly getting my head split open in a hockey game at the park. I was probably 11-ish. It was in the two towns over where my buddy's dad was the music director at a church. We walked on our skates for about six blocks to the church where I said to him, uh... Mr. Doig, I'm bleeding. Um, And he said, oh, we better deal with that. But they're absolutely right. I remember what happened next. You limped all the way home or asked someone for help. You managed. And that was a milestone. Kids need a whole lot of those experiences. They're anxiety killers. Meeting Figuring out and overcoming difficulty over and over and over again is the most important thing a kid can do. The most important thing, perhaps, go with learning to read.
4: Now, I know kids that are roughly 12, 13 that I don't think have ever been to the park by themselves.
3: I think that is tragic and astounding. Partly... Because my kids are grown, and it it just, it just was so not the way Judy and I think to raise our kids like that. And I'm not saying we're better than anybody. Um, it, just coming along, we've talked about this in several contexts. I didn't have to deal with porn in school. It was only as my youngest was in high school that uh, various... Uh, troubled girls decided they were transgender and that sort of thing. That was just starting when I was a parent and I get that I'm kind of lucky to have missed a lot of the insanity including, you know, my youngest is about to be 24. So... Uh, you know, the super overprotective thing didn't encompass my kids' entire childhoods. And plus, we just don't swing that way. But anyway, I want to get to solutions. Um, so, again, it's incredibly important that kids encounter difficulties and overcome them. The Let Grow Project is a homework assignment they give to schools to give to students so they can tackle more things on their own. And, yes, we will post this entire article at armstrongandgetty.com so you can grab it, print it, memorize it, whatever. The instructions tell kids to go home and ask their parents if they can do something new by themselves or with a friend, like walk the dog, run an errand, make the family breakfast, just something they feel ready to do but haven't done yet. Teachers and parents have told us that kids' confidence starts climbing when they participate. The 7th grade boy uh, pushed himself to go on a ride at the local amusement park. He'd been scared to do it before. Uh, Another 7th grade, and then after that, there was no stopping him. He went on ride after ride. A 7th grade girl, who was afraid to try out for the swim team, decided to start by walking to church by herself. That made her feel more grown up. Then she got her ears pierced with her parents' permission. Then she started doing CVS runs for her mom, which made her feel responsible. And then, yes, she tried out for the swim team and made it. Sometimes the impact is a little goofier. Um, ever since her elementary school started doing Let Grow, one principal told Lenore fewer kids are sticking their feet out. And she asked, do you mean they're, they've been tripping each other? No, said the principal. Fewer kids are asking their teacher to tie their shoes. What? And that was the dream of let grow. Yeah, I know. What age is that? Uh, Elementary school. I don't know what age.
4: Wow.
3: So that's the dream. Give kids their independence and watch them blossom. Um, But schools wanted data, not anecdotes. So they did a big study testing independence as therapy in clinical settings and they, uh, a doctoral student joined them. They treated several patients aged 9 to 14 who were diagnosed with anxiety disorder. Listen to this. Despite the kids' worries, turned out there were many things they did want to try alone. Going to the grocery store. Taking the bus. One wanted to take his little brother to a carnival. Uh, The intervention carnival, Uh, the intervention required five Zoom visits with each parent and child. The kid did about 10 to 20 new things on their own, one after the other as they felt ready. The result was that all of the children went from saying they felt worried most of the time to saying they felt worried a little bit of the time. That's amazing. Statistically, this independence therapy worked far better than drugs and faster than traditional cognitive behavioral therapy.
4: Better than drugs, so it's the alternative to be on a medicine to calm down your nervous system because you've been raised like a veal calf. Good lord. Right. Give them something new to
3: do. Choke down the fact that the risk is vanishingly small. We know you love them and you want to protect them. Don't protect them to the point that they're crazy slash veal calves.
4: Wow. That is interesting. I hope we're catching on as a uh, species about this. You know what's amazing
3: is our ability as a species to get off track and do what is plainly plainly not in our best interests. It's like we talk about the crazes and and fads in education that just suck going away from phonics in, in favor of this radical... Teachers, college-born, progressive. No, don't. Uh, Teach kids to learn uh, to read this new experimental way, which failed miserably, and the old way worked brilliantly and always has. Anyway, it's frustrating. Armstrong and Getty. The
2: Armstrong and
4: Getty Show. So the journey that took me to Howard Stern's wife's pets yesterday... Um, so this is where it started. I was watching a little bit of the Bill Maher show where he sits in the basement and smokes pot with various guests. I still haven't watched that. Oh, God, I mean, there's so to. many great episodes. It's really amazing. Anyway, he had a comedian on there, Jim Gaffigan, and they, they got on the topic of late-night talk shows. Oh, they were talking about the writer's strike. That's where they were talking about the writer's strike. This guest that Bill Maher had on was uh, you know really on the side of the writers and uh, Bill Maher, which I thought it was kind of interesting, and you mentioned he's was planning to bring his show back
3: yeah without writers without but writers. then he relented okay yeah. he he said yeah the are uh, the talks are going well so we're going to hold out
4: okay anyway he um he said i think a lot of these writers are just hoping for too much or hoping too much of a guarantee he said this is a hit or miss league i mean show business is rough you're either you know you're either make the cut or you don't and the idea that you're going to be able to work out some sort of agreed income for show business just doesn't make any sense to him. But they also got into the topic of residuals, like you used to be able, if you're a writer on Friends, and then it gets sold into syndication and all that sort of stuff, you know, the the, the money that comes for years. The current way everything works with Netflix, stuff just kind of disappears. And you don't make any money off of it. The only thing you made is when you wrote that originally. And it's just, there's just no more money to be made. I don't know, it's kind of, you know, but times are changing, which was the ultimate point of it. Anyway, they got onto the late night shows and Bill Maher was saying, I don't even I'm amazed that those shows still exist. The late night shows. Given the fact that you can watch anything you want anytime you want. I mean, they they came of age in a day when you got to the end of the work day, it's evening, you wanted to watch something on TV. Hey, here's something somebody talking about the 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 the, the 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 news, what's in the news and some celebrities and what but you can you could wa- you can watch any Netflix show, you could watch any other show, you can watch anything you want, how do they still exist? And also Bill Maher pointing out that um the whole politics of the whole thing and uh, and how they, they get credit for, like, being brave by going out and saying exactly what, you know, they're going to say to a liberal audience. He said, I th- say things that my audience hates all the time. He said, I've never heard any of these guys. He said, I'm friends with all of my like them, but I've never heard them say anything that would ever upset their audience. <laughs> that's absolutely oh, yeah. true. Well, you're right,
3: and he's right that a lot of what it is is a function of when it airs, which is a phrase so out of date I shouldn't even yeah, use it. right. Um, it is uh, amusing fluff before you go to sleep, and so yeah, challenging your audience has not really ever been part of it. Um, what What's sickening, though, and Mars' right to call him on it is they portray themselves right. as boldly political. When they're just serving up, you know, inoffensive right. fluff to their audience.
4: Anyway, somehow it came up the idea about how he and Howard Stern are uh, hating each other again and not speaking. And this might actually be permanent since it's so personal. But they, they had a couple of, you know, old high-profile media lefties had a falling out over vaccines, I guess. Stern was for all these different mandates and, um, and, and Marr was not. They had recently patched it back up. Bill Maher goes on Howard Stern's show. They're friends again, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, recently, Bill Maher had criticized Howard Stern for the way he talks about his wife. Now, you get into this sort of personal stuff, and you're probably never going to recover that. And, you know, I don't care about Howard Stern's wife or really know anything. didn't know anything about it. But if you remember back in the day, he used to talk about his wife a lot. And she was the subject of that movie and all that different sort of stuff. Then they got a divorce, and now he's got this super hottie 50-year-old wife who just did a big splashy bikini shoot in some magazine. And uh, Bill Maher thought it was sickening the way Howard Stern talks so lovingly about his wife and never mentions his ex-wife. I don't know, whatever. I don't care wow. about that. Mm. But anyway, so then so then I clicked on a link that went to Howard Stern's wife because I didn't know anything about her. And here she is. She's 50 years old, and she's doing a photo shoot for Vogue or New Yorker or something like that. And she looks like you would expect her to look and all this different sort of stuff. She's uh, uh, the. Uh, but this is the part that I thought was interesting. While Beth and Howard met in 2000, the lovebirds didn't tie the knot until 2008, after which she largely stepped out of the limelight to f- focus on cat rescue and adoptions, eventually, wow. eventually co founding her own center called Bianca's Furry Friends Feline in 2019. Currently, she's fostering more than a dozen kitties in the couple's colossal 25000000 dollars million-dollar, million eight-bedroom, 12-bathroom mansion in the Hamptons, which sprawls to 15,000 feet atop more than four acres of land. So she's fostering more than a dozen kittens in their home. People think my life is so glamorous with Howard that I have other people doing the messy part. Not true. I'm currently fostering 19 kittens, she says here, and adult and senior cats. That's a lot of poop to scoop. Good Lord. Signed up for that. Yeah, you know, this is one of she those... She also revealed uh, they have seven resident cats that live with them all the time, In addition, and one resident bunny in addition to the 20 kittens she's fostering and trying to find home. There are millions of cats all over the country. Millions and millions, and most of them are going to be put to sleep. And I know that's horrible to think about, but there ain't enough owners for all the dang cats. There just isn't. It's not like you have the only dozen Unadopted cats in the world or America or even the Hamptons. There's so many cats.
3: Yeah, I just, I'll never see eye to eye with a person like that. We just don't see it the same way. Well, I'm saving these 36 to 40. I lost track of the number of cats. (laughs) Right? In my home. Man, I'm Howard Stern. I'm not. I'd say, baby, I don't care how hot you are. You got to get rid of like three quarters of these cats. (laughs) Which will get us down Between to Between now and Saturday. <laughs> oh, my God.
4: <laughs> Which would bring us down to, like, low d- d- double-digit double cats.
3: <laughs> Single digits, honey. Single digits.
4: Yes. Wow. That's something. Nine cats is a lot of cats. <laughs> there you go. Well, anyway. We just cool. got two, and that's enough. You have two? Two kids Yeah, that's two how new it starts, kittens. though. Next thing you know, your Howard Sterns was. no, no. No. <laughs> quick question for you what if you happen to miss this unbelievable radio program
3: the answer is easy friends just download our podcast armstrong and getty on demand it's the podcast version of the podcast show available anytime any day every single podcast
4: platform known to man download it now armstrong and getty on demand
2: armstrong and getty
1: witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other
5: go to lifelock.com/news and save up to 25% your first year that's 25% off at lifelock.com/news identity theft protection starts here
4: the Armstrong and Getty show
3: Forget about Harvard. Harvard is yesterday's news. It's uh, no better than your community college. The new college rankings are out. Oh, by who? Well, actually, it's not the the dopey uh, U.S. News and World Report, which is one of the few reasons they actually still exist, I think. But uh, it's the Wall Street Journal College Pulse 2024 Best Colleges in the U.S., Uh, Their methodology
4: is interesting. But just keep in mind, if you don't go to one of these best colleges, you will have a miserable future. You will fail Uh, uh, in life, and there will be no happiness. Yeah, what
3: future? What are you talking about? Um, So they they graded the colleges on the difference it'll make in your salary. Having gone there,
4: the colleges' uh, ability to help you graduate in four years. There's an interesting way to look at college. How much will it affect your ability to make a living in the world? I'll be darned. Uh, yeah, um, how much debt you emerge with and how
3: long it would take you to pay it off, um, academic opportunities and, and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's a pretty wide range of scores. And if you're going to rank colleges and universities at all, um, it seems like a reasonable way to do it.
4: Well, I, I'm, I'm more on the side of those people who Photoshopped pictures of their kids playing sports that didn't they didn't play so that they could get into the right colleges and the only real way to judge a college is how impressed will people be when i tell them that my kid goes there that's the way you judge a college
3: yes will this elevate my social standing among the right people all right, here we go. Application error. A client-side exception has occurred, okay, as he tries to actually uh, open the poll. That's uh, bitterly disappointing. <laughs> Although I believe I can tell you the uh, the top school is Princeton at this point. All right. Princeton. I've, I went to Princeton, as I've made clear many times, uh, to pick up a pizza once while visiting my uh, aunt and uncle and cousins. Uh, and the rest of the uh, list will remain a mystery. <laughs> Apparently, until I can reopen this.
4: Also, the list came out yesterday of the colleges that have the least free speech. And the headline being the college that finished DFL, that's dead dang last, with the least free speech got a zero score was Harvard, who now has about a little over 1% of the faculty. List themselves as a conservative, and then you combine that with the fact that they don't let anybody right of Bernie Sanders speak there, um, they got a zero for free speech. To quote the heroes at
3: Fire.org, in 2020, Harvard ranked 46th out of 55 schools. In 2021, it ranked 130 out of 154 because they're ranking more and more. Last year, it ranked 170 out of 203 schools. And this year, Harvard completed its downward spiral in dramatic fashion, coming in dead last with the worst score ever, 0.00 out of a possible 100. This earns it the notorious distinction of being the only school ranked this year with an abysmal speech climate what's more granting harvard a score of zero is generous its actual score is minus 10.69 more than six standard deviations below the average and more than two standard deviations below the second last school in the ranking its ivy league counterpart the university of pennsylvania just absolutely miserable, and we can get back to those rankings. Uh, I have all uh, opened the uh, form attempted website on a different device. Yes, sir.
4: And what would you imagine uh, many of the famous faculty members there? You see them on cable news shows all the time. Professors from Harvard weighing in as the expert on whatever topic. What would their what would they say about it? Because I'm assuming they're okay with it. I'm assuming most of the people at Harvard are happy about this. So what would there be their argument?
3: I think they would say, well, all we're doing is keeping abhorrent points of view off the campus. Like, you know, I was going to say child rape, but there are quite a few on the far left that are kind of soft on that. Um... You know, it's like keeping
4: Nazis
3: off of campus or murderers. That's all we're doing, I
4: suspect. Yeah, and that's what I assume also. It's just, yeah, because we're right about all these things and they're wrong. So, so we're the only college that's 100% correct. So for what it's worth, here are your top uh, tenor or so. Princeton,
3: MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Yale, Stanford, Columbia, Harvard in sixth. University of Pennsylvania, Amherst College, Claremont McKenna College, which I have a feeling ranks near damn dead last in the free speech thing. Uh, It's become just a a, a, a slum, a swamp of uh, enforced progressivism. Then uh, Babson College, which I do not know. There's Georgetown at number 12, notably University of Florida's 15, Duke is 16.
4: I don't know if there should be rankings of colleges of how good they are that leave out the um, free speech angle. The idea of going to a university where half of the country's point of view is left out seems crazy.
3: I would agree completely. And the Wall Street Journal, for all of its strengths, has really let us down. Because one of the standards that they uh, rate the universities on is uh, diversity. But not diversity of ideas for the love of all that is holy.
4: Wow. So you give me a ranking on how many people of different skin hues there are but not anybody with a different point of view. That's ridiculous. Right, right. The number one ranking school in the free speech rankings, Michigan Technological
3: University. Well, I'm on my way. Auburn does great. University of New Hampshire, Oregon Oregon State. That is interesting in famously liberal Oregon. Good for you, Oregon State. Florida State, University of Virginia, Texas A&M, George Mason University, which may or may not be the alma mater of uh, somebody I care a great deal about, University of North Carolina, and University of Colorado rounding out the top ten. Good for everybody who scored in the top half. You are doing what universities are meant to do.
4: It's interesting how seemingly random those are. So what causes that, the... How how does the culture? The
3: culture of the leadership, I would guess. The the head guy or gal on down.
4: And it differs so much from colleges nearby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting.
3: that is interesting. It's a great point. I'd like to do a little compare and contrast of some of the best and worst in their geographical locations and that sort of thing. Uh, I love FIRE. Love that organization. Now, you want the polar opposite of what FIRE is going for? This is striking. And again, it gives me a little hope, and I hate that because if you have no hope, you can't be disappointed. Uh, but the New York Times... Covering uh, the story about a psych professor who is about to get a job at UCLA. The headline is "DEI statements stir debate on college campuses." Well, that's one freaking way to put it. Uh, dollar in the swerve jar, Michael. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just. I'm a little whipped up over this. Hey, Short of sleep.
4: <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, that was gratuitous. You're gonna think I made this up.
3: Guy's name is Yoel Inbar. He's a noted psychology professor at the University of Toronto. Uh, his, his woman, his partner, um, got appointed to the faculty at UCLA, and it's a common thing in academia to do what they call a partner hire. Okay, her her man's an eminent uh, dude in academia as well. We can find him a gig and keep the family together, right? Mm. So anyway, uh, the university asked him to fill out the requisite papers, including a statement that affirmed his belief and work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's right, friends. You have to swear an oath of fealty to a particular uh, agenda and ideology to get hired at California universities, public universities. Swearing an oath to a particular point of view, which ought to disgust and anger every sentient human with a soul. But reading on, he flew out and met with, among others, a faculty diversity committee and a group of graduate students. He figured all had gone well, that his work in liberal politics fit well with the university. Some faculty members, he said, even advised him on house hunting.
4: And by diversity, they don't mean Ben Shapiro gets to come speak about conservative values. They don't mean (gasps) that by diversity. Absolutely not. That would be madness.
3: So uh, he figured all had gone well. Ah, so th- there it is. But a few days later, the department chair emailed him and told him that more than 50 graduate students had signed a letter strongly denouncing his candidacy. Why? In part because on his podcast years earlier, he had opposed diversity statements like the one he had just written. So this guy got on his knees Submitted to the ideology police, wrote out his statement of fealty and religious fervor to their point of view, but because at some point in years past, he had expressed discomfort with that very practice, 50 grad students said he can't be here. His voice can't be heard here at UCLA.
4: It's a religion that doesn't take conversions, which is usually seen as pretty uh, strict. That's a good way to put it. UCLA ought
3: to be sold to the highest bidder and turned into low-income housing or a a, a technical college or a trade school or, I don't know, anything. Anything but a university. It is now so diseased, so rotten, so shameful as an institution of learning, it should be closed.
4: It's so troubling to think that there are faculty and students that think, and we just struck a blow for all that is right in the world. By keeping this guy off our campus. You people are nuts.
3: It's horrible. But it gives me some hope that the New York Times is haltingly, uh, uncertainly saying, yeah. Can we look at this a little bit because it looked like this guy was a pretty good professor and, and he went ahead and signed it. But uh, so anyway, I just wanted to tell don't be don't be angry. Please don't be angry at us for bringing this up.
4: So I think he probably Sickening. just self-servingly thought if you can't beat him, join him. I But it's possible he changed his mind. But either way. So people aren't allowed to change their mind and join your team because you ever thought it was a bad idea to have to get down on your knees and 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 beg for the right to be there. Wow, that's right. incredible. And, you know, a guy at UC Berkeley,
3: shockingly, he's a professor of history and public policy. Although if he has a grasp of history, he has a grasp of how ridiculous and radical these ideologies are. He says, professions of fealty to DEI ideology are so ubiquitous as to be meaningless. We're institutionalizing a performative dishonesty. Well, that's true, too. I mean, you can have AI write it for you because AI knows what to write because it's just formulaic. But I don't even want to go to that argument. I will not accept it, the practice of it. Enough to say, well, it doesn't really work anyway. No, no. I'm rejecting it prima facie.
4: By AI, did you mean artificial intelligence or Alan Iverson? Have you seen that ad? It's pretty funny. Guy's I have si- not, sir. Guys sitting on the couch. What time's the game on? I'll ask AI. What time's the game on? And then the camera pans out. It's Alan Iverson sitting on the couch. It's on 8. It's on at 8 o'clock. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Getty. The reality is, is, this is fabulous. I thank you. <laughs> That's enough of that.
5: This is all crazy. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Yep. But damn it.
4: We weren't allowed to ask about
1: the big guys. This is
0: the United States of America, God's sake. Let's not play games with this.
2: This is the Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other.
2: Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: Uh I think you make the sunlight.
4: I, uh, I want to get to this story later. I actually haven't read it. I just came across this this headline. over. It was on Friday. It was in the Wall Street Journal. Once it was uh, just another day at the office. Now it's just weird. What are we going to do about Fridays? And I assume oh. the article is about... The directions Fridays have just con- kind of gone. I, just, I, 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 I do feel like... Friday has become, for is it now the majority of people, it's not a real work day. As the Wall Street Journal said, it used to be just another work day. Friday wasn't really different than Tuesday. I mean, casual Friday is a fairly recent in, in development in in my mind. I mean, you used to dress the same all Monday through Friday. Then it became casual Friday. Then it was half day Friday. That's, then it's, you know, pandemic brought along... Uh, you know, get on your Zoom call for one minute, then, then not work at all Friday. Yeah,
3: kind of. It's certainly if uh, your company does any remote working, you're remote working on Friday. And uh, from what I've heard, that even people coming to the office consider it perfectly acceptable if they announce at 1 p.m. You know, I got some stuff to take care of, and, and off they go.
4: What are we going to do about Fridays, the Wall Street Journal says. That's kind of funny. Anyway, we can that talk is about that funny. later.
3: I love that. I remember my first gig out of college, we would knock off at 4.30 on Fridays and have beers in the uh, conference room, and that was that was like Christmas time, because Friday was 20% of the work week, period. Nobody thought of Friday as like, well, it's kind of a work day. Right.
4: We're turning into France, folks, and I don't hate it. <laughs> beers in the conference room, that seems... Yeah. Yeah, the, the idea oh my of that god. now people alcohol
3: use. Oh my
4: god! People would act like you brought a meth lab into the building if you <gasps> had beers in the office on Fridays. And I, I worked at a big radio station, many several radio stations, that on a Friday afternoon, everybody had a beer on their desk on a Friday afternoon, and it wasn't considered. Oh my god! They're shooting heroin down in the office. Well, everybody what about hide all the their fights oh, and people, oh, people the, having
3: sex on the desks right? and the fights, the rapes. It was endless. Car wrecks on the way home all the time because adults can't be trusted. Anyway, uh, pedofestry, Or it's it's got a pedofastry? Pedofa? Pedofastry. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. I never took Greek. Um, it's a concept I brought up years ago when Greta Thunberg first made her appearance on the world scene, shaming us all because the planet's about to catch fire. Hmm? How
2: dare you!
4: She's that little girl that yelled at us about climate change.
2: Yeah, yeah I've and I stolen was, my dreams.
3: Sorry about that. Again, with your 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 accusations, my darling. Uh, and and uh, I came across a word describing why she was such a phenomenon, and I was fascinated by it, but I promptly forgot it and haven't been able to find it since. But drew the millennial who learned the word on the show did better than me. He remembered it and sent it back to us. Pedofastry. It's using children to make an argument or prop up a rationalization because you know the opposite side either a doesn't want to criticize a child or b you can make the appeal that children are so pure of heart and have that wisdom uh, from the mouths of babes. Blah
2: blah blah. blah, blah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm more in kin. I'm more uh, you know inclined to take that side of it, sweetheart. Anyway, uh, but the idea that. Oh, a child knows. A child is untainted by idea. We must listen to the children. <laughs> That's pedofastry. Okay,
4: That's, that is pretty good. That is pretty yeah, good.
3: I mean, like the notion that a confused 12-year-old girl, she knows what gender she is. We must listen to the children. Yeah, we got to listen to confused adolescents. Since when? As a former confused adolescent, trust me, you didn't want to listen to me.
4: Yeah, this is bringing up a sore point for me. Oh, I can only imagine. As a parent, I've had conversations with co-workers around here about how we uh, we're, were surprised of our kids' attitudes, yet uh, uh, about a variety of things, uh, but fully recognized that, you know, we raised them. So you got to, I mean, you got to, you know, when you point the finger at someone else, you got four fingers pointing back at you. Um, No, you
3: really don't.
4: Unless you got some weird (laughs) deformity. Anyway, go on. I'm sure you have a point. I think maybe one of the most important things that we all as a nation should uh, embrace is this idea of they didn't raise themselves, which we bring up a lot on the attitudes of whichever generation it is you're criticizing at the time. They, they, they're not organically different, like, or their DNA changed or something like this. They got their attitude either from culture or you and your household or whatever. But anyway, aside from that, was just the, um uh, 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 and, and I'll give myself some uh, a leeway for the fact that I'm uh, single parenting, and that is a lot of jobs. Pushed into one human being, but um, trying to figure out the mealtime and everything like that, I I have this tendency to ask my kids what they would want to eat, and it just turns into a disaster of when we eat and what we (laughs) eat. And I remember my mom never asked us what we want to eat, she just put dinner on the table at the same time every night, and either you ate it or you (laughs) didn't. And I'm going to go and you back did. <laughs> and I'm going to go back to that uh, the plan for my kids cuz this what do you want to eat and then arguing about it is just oh. nowhere'sville. What a stupid th- I can't believe I even allowed it to happen, but I've gone down this road of making myself miserable, but it's over. Those days are over. Well, if you had a
3: child, that would merely be a poor idea. But a three-headed
4: monster of hungry men? Please. <laughs> Well, and since when do you want kids? It's just like the pedophistry or whatever that word is. Since when do you want kids making the, the nutritional decisions anyway?
3: Not so much, no.
4: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. You might not know this, but after we finish our radio show every day, the Armstrong and Getty Show, we keep on going. We do a podcast
3: that you never hear on the air. Might be more in-depth analysis of the day's events, uh, our allegedly keen observations of the world around us, or even more of the ridiculous and absurd stories that you crave every weekday. Yeah,
4: we call it Armstrong and Getty, One More Thing. It's a podcast that you should subscribe to right now.
3: You can find it on the iHeart app or wherever you download podcasts.
0: Made for women by women.
1: information.